This episode of Demystified as we explore home cooking in a modern world. I'm Linda and I'm here with my friend Paul. Hello. Hello Linda. How are you? I'm alright. Excellent, excellent. I was very lucky to be included in one of your demos recently. Is that what we're going to talk about? Well, one of the one of the aspects of the demo which I found really interesting, particularly in the context that the other person sitting with me um, didn't have any idea what the um, what was happening. It was just to sort of explain to her, come along and, and watch and yep. participate. And one of the first things that you served was a. Reversed, so good it wasn't you can't no, remember. No, no, <laughs> I'm trying to get I'm trying to get the wording right. Reversed sear beef. Mm-hmm. And when you asked, you know, how do we like our, our beef? She oh hers was uh, well response was well done and you're like, Well, you're gonna have a bad day. It's exactly what I said actually. And yes and good. yet I pay attention. And yet uh, when it was then served to her, the way that you dished it up and explained how it was then cooked and finished off on the stovetop She'd actually like, you know, ate. It was like cutting through butter. It was so soft, and she ate every every last bit, and said that uh, this was the best she'd had, and that you'd changed her mind, which I thought was a pretty big call um, for one dish. But I thought that's interesting, and it was a great technique, mm. and it got her thinking about how to do that. Maybe without, you know, she doesn't have. A combi steam, and she but didn't it have wasn't and I, exactly. And yeah. I said to, that, to her, "This was just low temp cooking." So maybe we could just, you know, you could just explain that to our lovely listeners, <laughs> what you did and why was it called that. Okay. Well, and what you went through with that process. Yeah. So it's very very simple. Um, first off, you need to. There's only particular cuts that it works for. Okay, so it works particularly well for beef, right? And it's quite a common method or technique, depending on what you want to call it, um, in the sort of barbecue and grill world. So in the barbecue and grill world, it's sort of what's known as indirect cooking. So you are cooking off the direct heat source. So you're not necessarily cooking direct on the on the grates of the grill or over the charcoal or whatever. You, maybe you've got the charcoal moved to one side and you're cooking off to the other side. The trick, um, so in the case of the oven, uh, it's kind of still an indirect heat, right? Because you're not over an open radiated heat source. The trick with it is, is consistent temperature delivery. Okay, so when we often roast a piece of beef or bake or whatever you want to call it, let's say roast a piece of beef, what we often do is we may well sear it first. So we, you know, you often see people are sealing the juices and then, you know, finishing the oven. Or it's generally the practice. The idea here is that, and, and we'll put it in an oven at let's say 180 degrees. Let's just call it that 170, 180 degrees. And that's really hot, right? And so what happens is is because all proteins, but beef, have moisture content. As soon as you add a high heat source, that moisture content, because it's not covered by skin or anything, right? That that moisture content essentially gets pushed out by the heat. And that's what happens, and that's why things dry out. So in the case of traditional roasting, you kind of sealed it to try and seal those juices in 
to prevent that moisture loss. But because you add it to a very high heat environment, um, you can't prevent it. And so when I say moisture loss, you don't actually see it. I mean, sometimes you'll see a bit of it in the base of the roasting dish, and that's all the stuff you scrape up to try and make a gravy mm -hmm. or a sauce, right? Yeah. It's called the fond. You can call it a million different things, but you deglaze. But that's all water, and essentially it gets cooked down because it's in high heat, and it caramelizes and it sticks on the bottom of the tray. So great for that, um, but not so great for the beef. So you've, you've pushed all this moisture out, but what you're also contending with is because you're cooking at high heat, you've got, for want of a better term, like heat bleed through the beef. So if you cut a piece of beef in a cross section, you can see it, right? So if you're cooking your beef to sort of medium well or medium-ish, you see distinct lines in a cross section. So one will be darker and a gray sort of, and then you get, might be a little bit of pink in the middle and then gray on the other end if it's like, let's say it's a cube. The thing with reverse sear is it's it's much lower temperature cooking. So I did ours at 100 degrees. So, and it's just in a regular oven. Of course, you can do it in a coffee stone oven, but we'll talk about that in a minute because you adjust the temperature. Um, but I did that at 100 degrees and it took about 30 to 40 minutes, somewhere in that realm. And it's not the volume of beef that matters, it's the thickness. So, the reason you do it at 100 degrees is because there's less chance uh, of that moisture loss. So you don't lose volume. Now, to prepare it, nothing's actually done. You just, I mean, I trust mine. So it was just to keep the shape a little bit. So I essentially tied it up with butcher's twine. Um, but it's just put on a tray and thrown in the oven at 100 degrees. Now, I use a meat probe. And really, to get the best out of the technique, you've got to know what's going on on the inside. Um, but the trick is, really, and this is where it can be beneficial versus doing it on a grill, let's say, with charcoal. As charcoal burns down, it loses temperature. Depends what you're cooking on, right? So if you've got a really well-sealed Weber or something like that, they hold temperature. But as charcoal burns down, it loses temperature, and so the temperature fluctuates. So you don't get as consistent a result as you would, let's say, in an oven. So it's the consistency of the temperature because if it spikes too high, you're going to get that more traditional roasted feel. And if it's too low, it's not going to cook enough. And it's not going to cook quickly enough. So I've, I've found that 100 to 110 is a good spot because at lower temperatures in a traditional fan-forced oven, the heat doesn't penetrate that well. So... 50 degrees in a steam oven on a standalone steam setting and 50 degrees in a regular dry heat oven, while they're the same, the penetration of the temperature is totally different. So we, we've mm. talked before about the thermal efficiency of steam. Exactly, um, yeah. So in the scenario of doing this in a steam oven, and there's a tutorial on the website where I do a beef tenderloin, it's mm -hmm. essentially the same thing. So it's a reverse here, it's just we use steam rather than dry heat. And I do that at 65 degrees. So it's a much lower temperature, but the end result is almost identical. So the difference being is that the surface isn't as dry when it comes out. But essentially, much lower temperature. Everyone thinks it takes ages, but it doesn't actually take that long. Um, yeah. Now, we used to fill at steak, right? So I fill it. It was probably, I don't know, a 500 gram piece, let's say. Um, so it wasn't huge, but it could have been a full 
1.6 kilo, 1.8 kilo fillet steak. It's the it's the depth of it that changes how long it will take. It's not great for boning joints because um, flesh close to the bone takes ages to cook, and you need the bone to heat up a little bit to help transfer a bit of heat. Yeah, yeah. But for prime cuts, and you can do it just for a standalone steak, right? You don't have to do it for an entire portion and then slice it. I just find that that's easy. I know it comes out tender. Like, and it's good. It can be a bit of a dinner party showstopper. So That was amazing. Yeah. And, and texturally, it's very, very akin to sort of sous vide cooking results. So you yeah. get that evenness of doneness mm. through the entire depth of whatever it is you're cooking in our scenario, I feel it. So there's two advantages to doing it in a regular oven versus a combi steam oven. One is 100 degrees is, you know, not super hot, but you can get it done relatively quickly without changing what happens on the inside too quickly. The biggest advantage is the surface, right? So you dry the surface out. And when you dry the surface out, and it, look, you can jump on Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, whatever, and you see everyone cooking a steak and they all talk about the crust that's that's developed. The only way to really get a good crust is to dry the surface out. So we talk about, there's a difference in crust and when we talk about crisping skins, two totally different things, right? Because it's not a skin we're trying to crisp, we're trying to put a crust mm-hmm. on it. So by drying the surface out, the crust develops like 10 times faster. So you get a much better crust and a good crust on a steak is quite often, you know, you get the Maillard effect, which is the caramelization of the sugars. That's where you get those umami flavors from. So yeah, I mean, there's different ways you can do it. You can do it on a barbecue, you can do it in steam oven using steam at 65 degrees, but it just, that shows you that steam at 65 degrees and regular dry fan force heat at 100, the timing would be almost identical. It's just that you are using steam at you know, 35 degrees lower than you are dry fan forced heat. And that's just the efficiency of the heat that gets into the item that you're cooking, just through steam. And the food probe helped you determine the time it was to get to your level of doneness. So you wanted yep. a medium. I wanted just shy of medium. Just, yeah, it was... And it was like, and that's the thing, right? Every, you would have looked at that and thought, no, that's medium rare. To be honest with you, it, it was bang on, just shy of medium. And the reason being is that, and I think I've said this before, medium, medium rare, well done, they're not a visual indicator of doneness, they are a temperature. And if you know the temperatures with the food probe, you can you can end the cooking where you want. And so the only thing that, you, that can be a little bit difficult sometimes, and it depends on your food probe and all the rest of it, is estimating the amount of time. So, some food probes will give you, it works off what the current internal temperature is and the ambient temperature, and it has an algorithm, and it will spit out an estimated completion time. But the good thing about cooking like this is, if I was doing it in my, as I did it, in the regular pyrolytic oven at 100 degrees, and I was waffling on a bit and whatever else, all I needed to do was turn the oven down to 55. So my internal temperature, so I would have just turned it down to 55. It wouldn't have continued to cook. It would have just held at that temperature. Now, it's not the same as sous vide as far as holding it consistently well because water-based heat holds at consistent lower temperatures far, far better. So it wouldn't have been... I wouldn't leave it in there for 
hours, but if it was 10 or 15 minutes, whatever, while I was off preparing other stuff or in the scenario of the demo, just talking. So once you've reached your, your perfect core temperature and you've got to allow like, I mean, I didn't seal that very long, but you could potentially allow one or two degrees extra for when you do do the seal. So one or two degrees is going to raise the mm-hmm. internal temperature when you seal it. So when you seal it, you're going to add high heat. That heat will bleed through. Um, but the idea is mm-hmm. to, to seal it quickly so you haven't affected that evenness of cook throughout the cross section of the piece of beef. Well, that's what and that's what happened. You took the yep. beef out, you left the truss on, and you just turned around, and it didn't look necessarily that appetising. No. It was just a darker piece. But when you put it onto the grill and yep. you could, and you didn't have it on for very long, you no. just rolled it over a couple of times, yep. carved it. I didn't ever do butter and thyme no, and garlic just, or any of that sort of stuff. No, like I didn't have time. Like we were, but you had some garnishes with it. Yep. But I, you know, and my colleague was very skeptical, like mm, not sure. But then when she cut into it and it just cut away, it was so tender. Mm. And you didn't rest it for very long either because no, it, it there was a time constraint. So you were but pushing through. But that's the other through, benefit of... Didn't, didn't uh, yeah. lose a lot of juice. It was really tasty. That's the other benefit of uh, that method is the resting time is 75% less than what it usually would be. Because the meat hasn't gone into thermal shock, so there's not a massive temperature difference. So if you think... if the meat's sitting out and it's come up to room temperature and let's just call it 20 degrees centigrade just for the sake of the argument. It's come up to 20 degrees centigrade and we put it in an oven at 100 degrees. There's an 80 degree difference, right? Quite often what people do in time constraints and it, you know, it is what it is and I do the same thing, right? You get home from work, you take something out of the fridge at four degrees and you put it in the oven at 180 degrees. That's a 176 degree difference in temperature that that item is suffering. So the less difference in temperature, which is why we always say bring your food up to room mm, temperature exactly. before you cook yeah. it, it's to lessen that thermal shock or impact. And by doing that, um, especially in this scenario, is the muscles don't tighten. So they don't get super tight. And when muscles don't get super tight, when you cut them, all the juices will stay to a degree intact. So think of it like, you know, you sort of flex your muscles and you can feel them tighten. Mm. And that's what happens when you add anything to high temperature, like anything. You add high temperature to something and that's what happens and that's why you have to rest. So a lamb roast, right? It's a leg of lamb roast. It sits in the oven for an hour and a half, generally-ish, depends on the size of your leg of lamb. That's a long time and there's a lot of different muscles and fibers and all sorts of stuff going on in there. And to get the best leg of lamb roast, you're best off an hour and a half cooking. Like, if you can, give it 40 minutes to rest. It won't go cold, but your lamb roast will be far, far better than if you give it 15 minutes. Like, far, far better. Even though it's gone under that heat. Resting is fundamentally super, super important. But any time that you can halve that, or even take 75% off it, it's beneficial. Well, you said at the beginning that this worked particularly well for beef, but not so well for other Mm. types of protein. What does it work particularly well with? Beef Um, Yeah, well, beef. um, A pork loin? Yeah, you could do a pork loin. You'd have to be 
Like I'd, I'd suggest with a pork loin, depending. Now, mind you, we didn't have we didn't have. There's no fat, right? Mm. So anything with a bit of fat in it, you generally want to render that fat out. Okay, so even the cuts of beef that you choose, you need to be aware of that maybe that when you do your seal, you want to be sealing, let's say you've got a porterhouse steak with a nice mm-hmm. cap, yeah. of what we call a cap of fat on it. Um, maybe you drop back your finished temperature, so that's the level of doneness that you like. Maybe you drop it back five degrees because you're going to sear it longer to render that fat because 100 won't, won't render the fat. Yeah. Like, while you would think it would, it won't no, render right. enough. So, scotch fillet, you know, ribeye. You can do a ribeye steak reasonably nicely. Um, that's essentially a scotch fillet with the... It depends where you're from, right? Tomahawk steak, let's call it that. Which in Australia is a scotch fillet with the bone still attached. Um, you can do that pretty nicely. But you probably just fractionally lift the temperature to 110. You could try a pork loin, but you've got to be cautious of the fat. The skin, I don't know. I haven't tried a pork loin. Um, but anything lean, you could certainly... Kangaroo? Yeah, kangaroos. I was just actually thinking that. Kangaroo would be a good choice. Because that's a hard one because people get nervy about cooking Very it. Very nervy. Um, yes. And it's such a healthy meat. Yeah. Mm. You could, I haven't tried it, but you could probably do a, um, a chicken breast. But I think there's a better better ways to do chicken breast. Um but you could certainly try it. Secondary cuts, so anything that you would normally cook for a long time, braise, stew, that sort of slow cook, that sort of stuff. So also buco, chicken legs, duck legs, shanks, anything like that. That's, that's a no-go, that technique. So you, you don't go that path. So it's really built for primary, primary cuts. So even pork belly, no. But you could do it with a... You need something with a little bit of depth and thickness. So even like I know that you do lamb backstraps reasonably yeah. often at home. It's probably not thick enough to warrant it, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. so you need something with a little bit of thickness. You could try a pork loin chop, like mm-hmm. a loin chop, not any other cut of the pork because that's going to be secondary. So a pork loin chop, nice, big, fat, thick, juicy pork loin chop would work. I haven't done enough of it to know. So... Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting technique, but it's not just applicable for... So in the case of like a pork loin chop, given it's got really minimal amounts of fat other than on the outside, I'd be almost tempted to go the steam path versus the standard sort of reverse here in a dry head oven. But that's just me. But you could play around with it, try But my tip for anyone is be very cautious about doing it if you don't have a... a a thermometer. You want to know what's going on on the inside because you don't want it to wait and do all this work and then seal it and then it's raw on the inside. Yeah. It's a tricky temperature to work with in a, just a regular oven. Okay. Yeah. But it can work. And I must say, well, you saw the it, way that you had everything else on the go as well, you had the ovens going, you had things happening. This was a really good way of... Um, yeah, well, I mean, it's convenient and it's a yeah of serving the having the meat cook yeah. while you had other things on the go yeah that needed maybe the steam ovens yeah but i mean look, we've talked about it before is like when you're having a party whatever it is planning an event doing a christmas whatever like it's planning stuff around the appliances that you've got now yeah. i know just because of the power output in here i can only run that oven at low temperatures 
Mm. So it kind of, the appliances, and I needed the other ovens to do other stuff, so the appliance kind of dictated to me what I, what I had to do. So, you know, just because, I mean, it would work perfectly in your secondary oven. Yeah. So you could have your steam oven to do whatever else, but that scenario in your oven, it would work perfectly. Like, it's a no-brainer. And you've got a probe now. And I have a probe. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. so no, it's, I think it's definitely worth a try and something different to see whether it works for you at home. Yeah. Yeah. But it's really, it's a very good technique and it's not just built for, a lot of people just consider it for outdoor. It's not just built for outdoor. And you'd probably need a probe, I would say, for if you're going to cook on a barbecue. Absolutely. Because yeah. you don't have any idea what the temperature yeah. is anywhere. Yeah. 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 But I mean, probes are like, they're nothing. If you haven't, them if you haven't got one, like even if it's just a, it doesn't sit in there the whole time. As long as you can check every now and again, yeah, like it just can be a thermometer, right? Yeah. Digital thermometer. Um, they're called instant reads. So as long as you've got one of those, yeah, you're away. But it's a really, really good technique, and it's super easy, right? There was no seasoning, no nothing. I did all of that after. So it's literally putting and a piece of beef on a tray in the oven, let it go, and just track the progress through an app or through your probe or whatever and it certainly turned my colleague from thinking the only way to eat steak was with that sort of grey well done overcooked dry shit (laughs) (laughs) well she didn't (laughs) she didn't describe it that way I know you did but uh, she said that's the way she prefers it at home and that's how she and her husband cook it but but it's funny how you can sway someone she had a very different view at the end of that yeah Mm. and it's funny how you can sway someone and it, look, it wasn't the greatest piece of beef I've ever bought in my life. Like, it was good, but it wasn't the most expensive, greatest piece of beef. So, it's funny how you can sway someone just through a little bit of good technique. That's all that is, is good technique. Yeah. Like, you don't need to be a chef to do that. You just need to understand a little bit about temperature and have patience. Oh, well, thank you for that. And <laughs> I must say, it was uh, particularly... Yum. Get on the reverse sear bandwagon. Well, let's let's try it. You try it. Well, I will try it. Yeah. With my... Uh, with and my you took it home and reheated it. That's and I took it home and reheated the it. The leftovers. And it was still incredibly tender yeah. and very impressive. So it was good. Excellent. So thank you for that. And happy yeah. cooking, everybody. Happy and until you. next time... Reverse sear. <laughs> bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to this podcast as we explore home cooking in a modern world. We'd love you to subscribe, and for more information, please go to our website, cookingwithsteam.com.